0: Good morning, friends. So I expect fully to uh, hear all the jokes um, that uh, you have in store for me. Um, And that's great. I'm looking forward to seeing if I hear anything new. Um, But uh, just to let you know, in case you don't know, I am, uh, sorry, my computer is listening to me. (laughs) Yeah, so I had surgery um, uh, two weeks ago, and I had surgery because of uh, foot injury I sustained in college, and uh, it got to the point where it was um, decinerating enough where I was dragging my left leg around behind me, didn't know if you recognize that or not. but uh, uh, And then uh, uh, a while back, I did a swan dive off a ladder in our commons and did a double whammy on my ankle. So I had a, kind of a two surgeries in one, one on my arch from my college injury and then one on my ankle from the fall. And so I'm in this position, in this ex cathedra pulpit um, uh, for the next I don't know, four weeks or so. But um, anyways, uh, I was talking to Dennis Smith about this situation, and he reminded me that uh, when Augustine preached, he was the only one sitting in the room, so next week we're not going to have any pews. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Not really. But um, I hope you'll... uh, extend me some grace as I sit and uh, preach from this position. And I uh, am just being reminded regularly about my dependence on Christ in all things. um, Even here, mostly here, uh, while opening the Word of God to you. And I'm so thankful to be able to do it. Um, Anyway. Oh, and uh, I was going to put the pictures of my um, post-surgery pictures I took on the overhead, but um, Sherry said you'd probably pass out, so they're pretty nasty. If you want to see them, I got them. So um, you know how when you spill a a box of toothpicks, Um, that's what the screws look like in my foot. They've got like 10, 12 screws down there in my arch that are juicy, if you want to take a, if you want to take a look. <laughs> but I won't put them on the overhead. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm here to relay the gospel of Jesus Christ to you, and which we do every week at Sun Valley Church, and I'm uh, thankful and privileged to do that. And as you know, the gospel can be complex, can it? It can be um, something that that uh, is difficult and hard to understand. There's intricate doctrines in the gospel that describe and define it. Doctrines like the original sin, uh, substitutionary atonement, imputed righteousness, predestination, election, all those hardcore um, complex doctrines are part of the gospel and yet The gospel's simple, isn't it? It's really simple. And I'm gonna gonna prove its simplicity um, right now. God is holy, God is perfect. You and I are not, and that creates a separation between us and God, right? We're sinners, he's not, so there's a separation. And yet God supplied a solution to that problem. He he sent his son Jesus Christ to be a reconciliation uh, between us and God. God, the Father. And if we put our trust and faith in Him, we are reconciled. We are transformed into the image of Christ, and that continues throughout our lives. So it's really, it's a simple gospel. Um, Even though it's so complex, there are libraries of doctrine and books about doctrine written about it. So, a question that comes up because of this kind of um, distinct difference between simplicity and complexity, a question comes up that's particularly pertinent to our church, and it's whether or not children can understand the gospel and whether or not we ought to be preaching the gospel to young children. Um, Is it appropriate to evangelize children? Uh, Should we be calling for repentance from a three-year-old? I mean, what do they have to repent of, really, after all? In the history of the church, there has been some debate as to when the church ought to officially pursue the conversion of children. Um, Many have accused us. Uh, those on the outside of the church have accused, maybe even some on the inside of the church, have accused us of brainwashing our children and to which we stand up and, and joyfully accept if we're able to brainwash our kids. It's either the world or us brainwashing our kids, right? So anyway, uh, children, children have been... The, the focus of our attention throughout church history on whether or not we ought to be evangelizing them. And in history, um, you know, children have had a rough go. Uh, children in the Hellenistic society of the first century held a precarious position. Uh, they, some were loved, most were not, they were exploited. Uh, all of them were undervalued uh, in our culture, it's, it's a little different, but not much. Uh, it's legal to kill our children in our society, and I mean that, it's legal to abort our children. Uh, in our state, we champion that. Um, the Biblical Hebrew culture, though, was different than the Hellenistic culture, uh, even in Jesus' day. Uh, children were considered to be gifts from God in the, the Hebrew culture of Jesus' day and prior to that. You remember Hannah uh, in the Old Testament was pleading with God for a gift of a, of a child and she received that. And Abraham and Sarah were, were viewing Isaac as a gift from God, right? So the Hebrew culture was different than the world at large when it, when it came to thinking of children But when Jesus arrived on the scene, he he clarified this for everybody, including the Hebrews, uh, the importance of children. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it to Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to read you the next section under our study, under our focus here in the gospel of Mark. And that's verses 13 through 16. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16 says and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuke them but when jesus saw it he was indignant and said to them let the children come to me do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of god truly i say to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of god like a child shall not enter it so in this passage uh, jesus elevates the stature of children in the eyes of God and of, in the eyes of God-fearing people while elevating the faith of children. Um, and in elevating the faith of children, he elevates our faith. I want you to see this this morning um, for your own encouragement. So Mark introduces this important passage by recording that people were bringing their children whether their own children or their their grandchildren or their nieces and nephews or their neighbor's kids or whatever, they were bringing children to Jesus so that he would bless them. And the disciples got annoyed at this and were, were telling these folks to not bring their children to Jesus. I'm sure their motives were, were good and pure because uh, they were kind of like the handlers of jesus and they wanted to protect his time and his space and you know kind of like the secret service you know you stay away that kind of thing um, but uh, they had yet to figure out exactly why jesus had come right they didn't know yet exactly why jesus had told them already we've read it here in the gospel of mark but it hadn't hadn't sunk in like it should have um but these were children after all, right? I mean, what, what part in the movement could they play, their children? Insignificant, really. It's surprising actually that these twelve thought of children the way they did. Um, but in the eyes of the disciples who were keeping the parents away with their kids, children were of no consequence. And so let's just let's save Jesus some time here and and keep. Let's keep moving towards, you know, the expansion of the kingdom of God here under our rule and supervision. And so they took it upon themselves to protect Jesus. But the blessing that Jesus was giving the children was obviously something he wanted to do. We learned this here. And he demonstrates by his words a high value uh, on young children. And so I, to see, I want to show you here two things, two things I want you to see the love of Jesus for children, and then in that love, I want you to see secondly, the the love that Jesus had for the gospel. So Jesus' love of children and Jesus' love of the gospel are your main points in your sermon outline that you may have in front of you, I hope you do. So we, we see the love of Jesus confirmed all over um, his ministry, right, He's he's always talking about kids, he's always healing kids, <laughs> Um, children are always in his presence. Um, In case you don't remember, Jairus' daughter, he he had this affectionate term he called her, little lamb, arise. He raised her from the dead. Um, The son of the demon possessed, I mean, the demon possessed boy, uh, the son of the father who said, I believe, help my unbelief, in Mark chapter 9. The son of the widow of Nain, who he raised from the dead, so Jesus was always interacting with parents and their children and, and, and welcoming children into his presence and blessing children and healing children. Children were important to Jesus. And so children are important to God, obviously, right? George MacDonald once said that he doubted a man's Christianity if children were never found playing around their door. How, how, how would your Christianity be uh, scored if it was based on your affection for children. <laughs> G- uh, Jeremy told me that you could hear this. <laughs> that means think on this. <laughs> uh, since we possess the, the spirit of Jesus as believers, then I think we ought to also love children the way Jesus did. And one of the best ways to love children is, or love anyone for that matter, is to bring them to Jesus, right? <laughs> that's, that's the greatest way to demonstrate your love for anyone, whether they're a child or an 80-year-old. You bring them to Jesus, like these people were doing here in Mark 10. And so the first way that I want to show you here that Jesus loved these children, or all children, was his inclusion of children in kingdom purposes. His inclusion of children and kingdom purposes. The masses here obviously understood that Jesus loved kids. They were bringing kids to him. His disciples didn't get it yet, but the masses did. And so they brought kids because they knew he loved them. But Jesus' disciples views these children as interruptions and getting in the way, etc. Um, so they were hindering, in the, in the disciples' eyes, the kids were hindering Jesus from advancing his ministry to the heights that it, sh- it should be going. Uh, but this story clearly communicates that that Jesus' attitude towards children was a loving attitude, isn't it? And so what did he do? He rebuked the disciples. It's, it's a strong rebuke. The, the Greek word really is a, a reprimand, a a, a a hard reprimand is the idea there when Jesus turned and his disciples to let them come in fact he says he commanded them let them come and so what do we what do we learn from from this well first I I think that I want you to see in that how Jesus loved children we need to love children and bring them to Jesus we need to evangelize children Um, and so if children were worth Jesus's time they they ought to be worth our time Isn't that a logical, you know, process in your mind? And so we need to bring children to Jesus. Children need to be evangelized because, first and foremost, they're sinners. And I know that's hard for some of you parents, especially you young parents, to to take. Uh, But, in fact, um, your children are sinners. In fact, the reason that these beautiful children that fill our church building turn out to be selfish individuals is because they have sin in their hearts. The reason they turn out to be like us is because they have sin in their hearts. (laughs) Right? I remember um, the first Sunday that Patty Hohendermas came to church at Sun Valley Church. Um, I remember she tells me this. She tells me I called Charlie Pinch a dirty little sinner. And at that time, Charlie was just born, I mean, maybe a couple days old. And it shocked her, almost to the point of, I'm not going back to that church, kind of shock. Uh, But in fact, isn't that the truth? The Bible tells us this, that our children, as cute and snuggly as they are, are sinners. I mean, it's all over scripture. Psalm 51, Romans 5, Isaiah 48. In fact, Isaiah 48.8 says, before birth, you were a rebel. (laughs) You were a rebel in the womb. Um. So 100% of children who grow into adulthood prove to be sinners. Ecclesiastes 7.20, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Where does that start? At conception. So we need to bring children to Jesus, right? Because they need Jesus. They need their sins forgiven. They need the gospel, just like we do. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of a century and a half ago, he returned once from a meeting that he was having, an evangelistic meeting, and reported to his host that two and a half people became believers that night. And the host said, oh, two adults and one child. And he goes, no, two children and one adult. <laughs> he said that uh, the children who came forward and received Christ that evening at his meeting uh, gave their whole lives. The, only, the adults only had half a life to give. So, So Jesus commanded the disciples to let them come. Uh, how, how are you involved, if I may ask? How are you involved in bringing children to Christ? If this is so important to Jesus, if children are so important to Jesus, is he if he loves children so much? How are you involved in bringing children to Jesus? Do you help in the nursery? Do you volunteer for VBS when we have it here once a year? Um, Do you help coach a youth team in the community? Are you kind to your neighbor's children? Do you invite children to church? So the evangelizing of children is not only the responsibility of their parents, it is definitely that, but it's our responsibility, all of our responsibility. That's what this passage is helping us understand. So Jesus' statement here, I think, is obviously an important one, because it affirms the spiritual capacity of children. To such belongs the kingdom of God. (laughs) This text highlights the need for child evangelism, because they can actually come to genuine faith. Um, When did you come to faith in Jesus, if you have? If you have, when did you come to faith in Jesus? It was probably before you were 25. I was nine years old when I came to faith in Jesus. I was saved before the foundation of the world, but it was actualized when I was 12. I I was baptized, I mean when I was nine, I was baptized when I was 12. And and this is reasonable to think of because if, if faith is a gift from God and not dependent on our intellect, then children should be able to understand the gospel. Right? They should be able to receive Christ by faith, which they do. I mean, in the last three months we've baptized a couple kids, a few kids. Why? Because they believe the gospel, because they embrace Jesus. Even the six and seven-year-olds. Charles Spurgeon said, I will say broadly that I have more confidence in the spiritual life of the children that I have received into this church than I have in the spiritual condition of the the adults thus received. I will go even further than that and say that I have usually found a clearer knowledge of the gospel and warmer love to Christ in the child converts than in the man converts. I mean, don't we, the older we get as Christians, complicate the gospel more and more and more, it seems? But it really is pretty simple. This is what Spurgeon is saying. Continuing, I will even astonish you still more by saying that I have sometimes met with a deeper spiritual experience in children of 10 and 12 than I have in certain persons of 50 and 60. In a demographic survey of Christians, a gentleman named Jim Slack discovered that 19 out of 20 Christians became Christians before their 25th birthday. So, let's see if slack is on to something here. If you became a Christian, if you are one, before your 25th birthday, raise your hand. Hmm. Eh, he's right. Yeah. If you became a Christian after your 25th birthday, raise your hand. Almost exactly Right. So, this highlights the importance of evangelizing our children, doesn't it? Uh, parents, Sunday school teachers, youth group leaders must recognize the critical nature of their ministry. They're not babysitting, <laughs> they're evangelizing. They're actually frontline evangelists in the nursery, in our youth group, our VBS workers, frontliners. But along with this uh, encouragement from Jesus here, I think when there needs to be a warning, especially to parents, concerning the evangelizing, evangelization of your children. Uh, uh, and that is that we must never try to extract a confession of faith from a child. Um, When I was growing up, this was a common practice. Maybe it still is. I'm not certain. But when uh, when we became believers at a young age, uh, we were told to write the date of that conversion into our Bible, the leaf of our Bible. So if you ever doubt your conversion, don't examine <laughs> your behavior. Look at the leaf of your Bible that says a date. So I know the intentions were good with that encouragement to write a date in the leaf of my Bible, but that's no way to affirm your faith, is it? So we must not coerce a conversion in our children and not say to them, no, you're saved, remember? You wrote that date that you prayed, the sinner's prayer in the Bible, remember? I was there, it was in the living room, remember? That's not, that's coercion and I think we need to avoid that. But we must cultivate, I think, spiritual sensitivities, parents, in our children as much and as any way as we can, and and most of all, pray fervently for their conversion, that God will have mercy on our children. The second way we see the love of Christ here in this text before us is in verse 16. And we see Jesus' affection for kingdom children He said, and he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. I think this is one of the warmest verses in all of scripture. One of the most tender demonstrations of the love of Christ towards humanity. He took them in his arms. In other words, he picked them up and hugged them closely and blessed them. That's what the the verb actually means. He took them. It means to hold closely. He held them closely, snuggled them, and blessed them. This is the creator of the universe we're talking about. Uh, What a tender moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. And I think it gives us insight into how we ought to think about children in our lives. Instead of viewing them as a nuisance if you're my age, uh, which is easy to do, how about think about them this way? and think about them uh, with loving affection, looking forward to an opportunity to demonstrate that by signs of affection. Thirdly, uh, I want to spend a little time on what this passage teaches us about broader kingdom realities. This is an outline point C, 1C. Jesus' indication of broader kingdom realities. Uh, we have an analogy of faith here, an analogy of salvation by grace alone in this story. These were children, right? He doesn't, Jesus doesn't affirm their inclusion in the kingdom of God because of their innocence. Uh, they were just small sinners like everybody else in the room. But... It's obvious that there are no works associated with this salvation picture, because here Jesus was referring to small children. Luke calls that some of them present were infants. And Jesus said, "Let the children come to me, for such belongs the kingdom of God. They're in the kingdom. They could be saved, in other words. Even though they had done no works, even though they hadn't impressed anybody, and they probably hadn't even thought of impressing people at this age, they had nothing to offer God in exchange for salvation. And, of course, this begs a question, which is one of the broader spiritual realities that I want to address. If these young children can be saved and we believe that the Bible teaches that salvation is only accessed by personal belief, then what's in view here? (laughs) Do you understand the problem that this text presents? Jesus said that children can be saved, children maybe in this context can be and were saved, but they couldn't vocalize belief. In the theological camp that I grew up in, there was a doctrine referred to as the age of accountability. Have you heard of it? Uh, This doctrine taught that that children automatically would go to heaven if they died before the age of accountability, uh, which is the age when they're able to make an informed decision about whether to follow Christ or follow the world. It's, It's about moral discernment. Before a a human being gets to the age of moral discernment, the age of accountability doctrine states that if they die, they will go to heaven. Okay? The problem, there are many problems with this doctrine, um, but it's a comforting doctrine, isn't it? Um, And this passage that we're looking at today is used to support that doctrine, among other passages. The doctrine teaches that young children who die before they're able to understand the gospel or understand their personal responsibility before God for their sin are saved on a provisional basis this is getting sticky isn't it because we know eternal life isn't temporary and yet it seems to be in the case of children at least before they can make an informed decision about Christ But some children never hear the claims of Christ. And so, if they have eternal life until that age of accountability, is it temporary eternal life or not? So I think what we can take away from this text is that God holds them in a temporary season of grace until they are able to consciously pursue Christ or pursue the world. And all people are born pursuing the world. So you can see why this gets tricky, this particular passage, this particular doctrine, and it's tricky mostly because the Bible doesn't directly address it, which is why we must have grace towards one another in this particular discussion. Um, one problem that I just mentioned is that eternal life isn't eternal if it goes away, and yet it sounds like these kids are saved. so how how is Jesus referring to salvation on a provisional basis? Is this really a temporary conditional grace? Well, there's numerous places in the Bible that references temporary innocence or temporary... Grace of small children Deuteronomy 1, Jonah 4 Jeremiah 19 all refer to this the story of David's uh, the death of David's son that he and Bathsheba produced he said in the Psalms I will go to him he cannot come to me but I will go to him which meant what he's going to see this boy in glory this boy was saved Without ever believing. So, to be transparent, I believe that when children die, they go directly to heaven. That's where I stand on the matter. There are other good people who don't stand on that. Stand on this the way I do. When Jesus declared in verse 15 that anyone who wants to be included in the kingdom of God must enter as a child, he gave a death blow to any kind of works righteousness. Didn't he? Children don't have works righteousness. <laughs> they produce nothing. Never served in the church, never given a dime. What if nothing? Um, in other words, Jesus basically said you can't earn your way to heaven. So why can't children go to heaven when they die? The Bible doesn't say they, they do or they don't. It just indicate at least the way I see it, it seems that they do to me. But we do know that by, by this that you can't impress God with your good works and earn your way to heaven. We do know that from this passage. We, we know that we can't impress God with our squeaky keen life and, and have merit unto salvation. That's obvious from this text. This, in fact, I think that's why it's in the scripture. I think that's why Jesus said it. To such belong the kingdom of God. These children who have done no works, who are not righteous in and of themselves because of what they have done, are included. So this is really the gospel for incapable sinners. Jesus said this is uh, the way people are saved. Um, He said this all the all the way through his ministry. Jesus' acceptance of these children pictures that salvation is always and only by grace alone. The salvation of a child who dies without having performed any meritorious work, I think, is one of the most powerful demonstrations of salvation by grace, nothing added. So let's move on to the second point. I know I've left some questions unanswered, and it's because I don't like answering questions I can't back up with scripture. So I'm gonna leave them unanswered. But let's look at Jesus' love of the gospel, and we got a taste of it just from what I just said about this picture of salvation by grace. And I want you to see from verses 14 and 15, the childlike requirements of kingdom entry. Look at 14 and 15 with me again. But when Jesus saw it, that is, saw them restricting the kids coming to him, he was indignant and said to his disciples, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is a special blessing that Jesus gave to children. And of course his special blessing had nothing to do with the faith of the parents or the nationality of the parents. We don't know if these were Jews or Gentiles per se. All we know is that he was blessing children. Um, And of course these children had no faith. The, The blessing was based solely on the loving kindness of Jesus. He didn't stutter here. It was very clear what he said. He added no caveats, no restrictions to this gospel blessing to children. He didn't single out the Jewish kids and say, all you Gentile kids, stay away. I'm going to bless these kids. No. He didn't say, okay, all you circumcised kids and baptized kids, come forward. The rest of you get in line. And when you get baptized, then I'll minister to you. When you get circumcised, then I'll minister no, to such belongs the kingdom of God. I I think this picture clearly portrays the basic requirements of entry into God's kingdom. Here they are, if you're note-taking. Dependence, helplessness, trust, humility. Those are the requirements and nothing else. Dependence, helplessness, trust, and humility. The qualities that all children have. All children are dependent. All children easily trust. All children are naturally humble. Which is Jesus' point. The surgery that I I had a couple weeks ago has reminded me of gospel truths. Uh, When I first got out of the hospital over there in Issaquah, where the surgery took place, I mean, it was pathetic. You know, if you've had surgery, you know how pathetic you are, right? Oh, help me, please, please help me, thank you, please. Help me, thank you, please, help me, thank you, please. That's been the first two weeks of my post-op, here. Thankfully, Sherry has a measure of patience and uh, we're still committed to each other. (laughs) But here I am, you know, I asked Jeremy to do something and he provided this. I asked my wife to get me a glass of water and she does. I'm dependent. Now I believe in the providence of God and I hope he didn't create this whole thing so I could preach this one sermon. But stranger things have happened, right? So it's obvious that Jesus isn't elevating the receptivity of children or the simplicity of children or the innocence of children. No, Jesus had in mind a very objective, qualifying character of anybody who's saved that's pictured in children. Humility, dependence, need. And that's the attitude that Jesus seeks in everyone who comes to faith. The reason God requires this attitude is because the only place these attitudes grow out of, come from, is the place of humility. Humility. So that no one will boast, we read this morning in Ephesians 2. There's, there's going to be no boasting in heaven from anybody. Well, how'd you get here? Well, let me tell you. No, that's n- there's never going to be an ounce of boasting in heaven because we all come humbly by faith in the goodness of Jesus Christ our Savior. We sang this this morning. Rock of Ages. It's a great hymn, isn't it? Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. And then my favorite stanza in this hymn nothing in my hands I bring like a child nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling naked come to thee for dress helpless look to thee for grace do you believe that if you don't you're not saved listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 18 Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So he's not saying they're innocent. He's saying they're humble. (laughs) They're dependent. They're needy. This is the character qualities of someone who gets into the kingdom of God. Now let's look at the qualities of kingdom exclusion. We just saw the qualities of kingdom inclusion. How about the qualities of kingdom exclusion? Well, they're the opposite, right? (laughs) Um, He just said, no one will get into heaven or into the kingdom of God unless they receive God's salvation as a child would, humbly, dependent. Warren Wiersbe said we spend all of our parenting lives telling our kids to grow up and act like adults when, the most, when in the most important part of life we are the ones who should be acting like children. When it comes to the most critical areas of life, we should be acting like the kids in the room. Humble, dependent, trusting, needy. Do you know that children die if they don't, we don't take care of them? Yeah, they're needy. That's why God gives them parents. So, what, is exclude, what excludes you from God's kingdom? Well, oh, wouldn't it have to be pride, independence, suspicion versus trust? Uh, so, this, this passage in front of us really is a veiled call to repentance. Maybe not even veiled. <laughs> Are you self-assured? Are you independent and proud of it? And do you not trust people and not trust God? Then you're excluded. You must turn to Jesus in total trust, humble helplessness, seeking his grace and mercy, just like a child. Period. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this wonderful demonstration here in Mark 10 of your love, of your goodness and grace, and really the simplicity of the gospel in view here. We, we thank you that, that this is included. We thank you for the, the side blessing of the comfort this passage brings us. Um, in the passing of children into glory. Thank you that you're so good and kind and loving. Thank you for tenderly embracing young children. Help us to think and behave as as you would. Help us to possess your spirit towards children. Help us to evangelize children and be a part of their lives. Um, thank you again for this passage, Father, and for... Um, Jesus, your son, um, teaching us about your heart. Bless us now as we go our way and um, as we're reminded of the basic elements of the, of the gospel message here, even in this text. I pray this in your name. Amen.